First Peter chapter 1, again I will read verses 13 through 21. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God, that raised him up from the dead, and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. We're continuing in our series, The Hope of Our Salvation. Peter is writing to individuals who have trusted in Christ as their Savior, but were suffering terrible persecution. As a result of that persecution, many of them had lost homes, property, money, possessions, jobs, friends, and even family. And he's writing now to encourage them to continue in the faith and offers these five different thoughts concerning this matter of encouragement and helping them to trust in the Lord, or encouraging them to trust in the Lord, and continue to hope in their salvation. You know, sometimes when things look really bleak, hope seems to fade, does it not? So Peter was writing to them to encourage them in this matter. We've already looked at the first two of these five, the glory of God we saw in verse 13. The holiness of God last week in verses 14 and 15. Today we will look at the word of God. Next Sunday, the judgment of God. And then the last message will deal with the love of God in verses 18 through 21. So I call your attention today to verse 16. Because it is written, be ye holy for I am holy. The Lord here emphasizes, of course, the word of God. He starts out by saying, because it is written. This phrase, it is written, is found 80 times in our Bible. And it's a statement which carries great authority for the believer. It's one one reason I've been emphasizing some of those thoughts this morning leading up to the message. The idea we can trust in the Word of God. We can have confidence in it. You see, our Lord used the Word of God to defeat Satan, and so may we, because it is the sword He has provided us for battle. Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, Jesus answered that it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word which proceedeth out of the mouth of God. In verse 7, it is written again, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. In verse 10, get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Yes, Jesus effectively used the word of God, and we as well can do the same. The word write, written, or record occurs approximately 400 times in Scripture. 
Understand, we have in our hands today a copy of God's written word. And it provides us with an accurate record of what has happened, what is happening, and what will happen. You know, so many people today, they refuse to accept the fact this is the word of God. But what a joy today to know we have in our hands that which God has provided us with that we might read, meditate upon, memorize, and apply to our hearts and our lives. Consider, if you would, the value of a written record over an oral account. Maybe you've heard somebody or maybe you yourself have repeated a particular story over a period of time. And it's kind of like the old fisherman's story. He catches a fish that's about four inches long, but every time he tells it, that fish grows. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Well, the problem with the oral account is it has a tendency to change as it's told. But when you have a written record, It's down. It's settled. It's there. You can go back. That's why attorneys and courts, they want to deal with evidence. They like proof. Hearsay is is not an acceptable form of evidence or proof. We need to learn the value. Well, let me back up. I'm sure we understand this, but we should recognize the value of having the written word of God before us. As we read the Bible, we note there are two classes of prophecies in Scripture. You have the explicit verbal prophecies. These include prophecies concerning the Jews, Israel, the heathen nations, and the coming Messiah. For example, Isaiah 53, Micah 5.2, Daniel chapter 9 are excellent examples of this. What's interesting to note, they were written hundreds of years before the Messiah came and yet gave specific details as to the birth of the Messiah. Think about that. Remember the story when the Magi came into Jerusalem and they stood before Herod. They wanted to know where, where was he who was born king of the Jews. Did they take a public poll? Did they consult, uh, consult the, uh, the media Experts of their day, when I say the media, those who are familiar with current events and things, no. To what did they turn to determine where the king of the Jews would be born? Yeah, it was the word of God. Micah 5, 2 specifically. But thou Bethlehem Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. You know, Second Peter chapter 1 tells us, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of men, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. People have claimed for not only decades, but for centuries, this Bible is nothing more than a compilation, a collection of opinions and folklore. Not so. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto every good work. God has given us his word. So we now know how to conduct ourselves in this life and we know what to expect in the life to come. 
thank God we have his written word. Well, the other class of prophecy in the Bible are the prophecies of types. Did you know everything in the Old Testament, history, institutions, ceremonies, etc., are prophetic? You can see Christ in the tabernacle and the temple. You can see Christ in the offerings and the feasts and the festivals of the Jews. 18 million Jews in the world today. A small number compared to uh, other ethnic groups and their population, but very few Jews today recognize their Messiah has already come and will come again. That's a sad fact. They have chosen not to see Christ in these prophetic types in Scripture. One reason for that is there are two lines of prophecy, if you will. You have the one line of prophecy that foretold of the coming king. He who would rule over the nations. He who would sit upon the throne of David. He who would rule with a rod of iron. And you have the other stream of prophecy that declared he would come as a humble servant. Meek and lowly in heart. Who would suffer for mankind. Sad to say, many Jews, and as well, many Gentiles, have chosen to disregard that line of prophecy that pointed to the suffering Savior that we see in Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53. And they chose to only look for that coming king. Well, he will reign as king, but that's not going to begin until the end of the tribulation. He's already come as the humble servant of God, meek and lowly in heart. He's already born the sin of mankind. And too many folks have missed that. Well, the two uh, classes of prophecies in the Bible, the verbal prophecies and uh, those prophecies that are typical or by type. For example, Acts 18.28, For he mightily convinced the Jews that publicly showing by the scriptures that Jesus was Christ. Speaking of Paul, when he was preaching to those folks, he looked to the Old Testament. And by the way, that's all they had in the early days of the New Testament. They didn't have what we have today, the complete canon of the word of God. All they had was the law and the prophets and the writing, which is how they referred to the Old Testament. They don't call it Old Testament. So that's what they had. And Paul would take people back to the writings of the Old Testament and he would show them Christ in the scriptures. And thank the Lord for those who got it. For those who saw Christ was the Messiah and they received him as Savior. Our heart breaks for those who know not this great truth. Well, the fact of the matter is we have this written record from God to man. It was written by men on every plane of social life, from herdsmen to fishermen, from the publican to the king on the throne. It's made up of 66 books written by nearly 40 human authors, over a period of 1,500 years. It was penned in three different languages. It was written in many different countries and done so under varying circumstances. But it is our conviction today. There's not one contradiction, one error, one mistake in the Word of God. Those who claim 
the Old Testament, Old Testament contradicts the New Testament and vice versa, they're mistaken. Those who want to look for mistakes in the records involving the number of soldiers or the number of uh, years a king served or, or whatever, you know, they can find what appear to be discrepancies, but you understand there's an explanation for every one of them. There are no mistakes in the Word of God. I hope that's your conviction. Well, we come to the King James Version of the Bible. It's God's preserved, inspired word for English-speaking people. I do not believe someone has to have a copy of the King James Version and read from that in order to be saved. There's enough of the gospel in many other translations of the scripture that someone can get saved. But if they want that which I believe to be true and correct as an English-speaking person, We need to be reading the King James Version of the Bible. We're not going to get into all the nuances of that right now. But I will just address a couple things because questions have come up. There are about 150 words in the authorized version that are pretty much not in use or used only a small amount or by a small group of people today. Many people say, well, the King James Version, it's so old-fashioned, it's so outdated, it's so archaic that it doesn't apply. It, it, it's not that beneficial for people today. After all, it's hard to read. It's hard to understand all the these and the thous and the yees. It's hard to understand some of those words. Well, as I said, only 150 of the over 30,000 words in the Scripture are not really in use today. And by the way, only 15 of those are actually considered archaic. That's a very, very small number when you think about it. 30 of the words are different types of stones, mostly gemstones, that are still not commonly known amongst the majority of people, but they are uh, by those who deal in that field. And then 20 to 30 of those words that are not commonly used anymore are building terms and pretty much confined to those in the design and construction of structures. So those who find fault with the King James Version saying it's outdated, it's too old, it's too hard to read, you know, I believe they're, they're, they're barking up the wrong tree, if you will. It's an argument that doesn't hold water. Bible-believing people, Bible-reading people, are generally those have, who have a much more rounded vocabulary than others. And I don't say that in a condescending, critical, or an insulting way. I'm simply saying those who regularly read the Word of God find they have a little bit better grip on the English language than those who do not. Well, I want to address three areas today to respond to this thought Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. Considering the word of God, three things this morning we can make note of that help us to understand the value of God's written word. First of all, we note the word of God is light to guide us. God's word guides us through dark and dreary paths in this world. 
We've been looking at the book of Proverbs for some time now in Sunday school and understanding the two main avenues of thought in the book of Proverbs as far as how one would conduct his or her life is the path of the righteous and the path of the wicked. We choose to follow the path that is pleasing to the Lord in obedience to his word or we choose to follow a path that is contradictory to God's will and God's word. As we go through life, we find there are difficulties and struggles along the way. We referred to some of these things prior to the message and talking about how we live in dark days. The Bible tells us men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. We live among evil people. We live in an evil society and an evil world today. I hope you understand that. God's word can shed light on what is taking place around us and can guide us along the way. You're familiar with this verse, Psalm 119, verse 105. Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. This is a great truth we see in the word of God. The Bible, it serves as a lamp and a light. It is a lamp to our feet because it shows us where we are. And it is a light to our path because it reveals where we need to go. If we as God's children would simply choose to follow God's word, the precepts set forth in the word of God, the expectations, the demands, those things God tells us to do in regard to our personal conduct, our interpersonal relationships, and our outreach to this world today. It would certainly help us in going a long way down the path of righteousness. Yes, God's word is a lamp that helps us to know what we are doing, whether it's right or it's wrong, and it's a light to show us what we need to do to please him. Psalm 1828, the Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. There's no reason for a child of God to be walking in darkness. God has provided the light of his word to illuminate the way, to illuminate our hearts, if you will, and show us how we ought to live for him. Second Peter chapter 119, this thought carries over into the New Testament. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Yes, that light that shineth in a dark place is the word of God. Of course, we know Jesus said, I am the light of the world. To us as his saints, he said, ye are the light of the world. All that comes from the word of God as he shows us how we ought to conduct ourselves in this wicked world. But not only that, we know the word of God is not only a light to direct us, it is food to nourish us. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. You see, God's word provides nourishment to strengthen us. He said in chapter 2, verse 2, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. Everyone knows. Infants, when they're born in this world, they're dependent upon their mother's milk that which would give them strength and sustenance to help them to grow, to help their bodies to develop to the point where they could then move on. 
to the meat that would, uh, the, the solid foods that would help them to continue to develop as a human being. God takes that thought, which was well understood by everyone, and said, as newborn babes, newborn Christians, desire the sincere milk of the word. In other words, there ought to be in the heart of a believer, once they trust in Christ, a desire, a sincere thirst for the word of God, to read it, to take it in. And why? It helps us to grow. It helps us to develop into mature believers. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 12. For the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. The author of Hebrews is saying, as you mature as a Christian, as you grow, as you become more like Christ, you ought to be able to stand on the Word of God and help to strengthen others in the Word of God. The meat of the Word is taking in those things that are more deep and more uh, involving and more demanding, if you will, to help a mature believer to grow. But to these uh, folks, these readers, he's saying, listen, You haven't developed as you should. You haven't grown as you should. And as a result, you're not able to move on to the meat and get that additional nourishment. You're stuck in the milk stage. Verse 13, for everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. We all know that babies, they don't have a lot of strength. They don't have a lot of abilities. They don't have a lot of skills. They don't have a lot of stamina. They're still growing. But once someone grows to the point where he or she can start doing things in a physical, athletic, or developmental manner, their traits begin to mature. Their body matures. Well, as Christians, that ought to be the case. The longer we're saved, the more we ought to be like Christ. We ought to be moving toward him, not away from him. And that's what's happening here with these, these uh, readers who are being addressed. Verse 14, he says, But strong meat belongeth to them that are full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Children, for the most part, innocent, ignorant, unsure of, what, of their surroundings. They need to be directed. They need to be taught. And so it is with a new Christian. Just kind of learning how to live for Christ. But as we mature, we ought to be able in Christ to be able to discern between good and evil. That's why it's so important to have a steady diet of the Word of God, that we might be nourished by it. Paul, in writing to the Corinthians, said, I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. What a sad state to be in. As Christians, to be rebuked by this man, saying you're just not able to handle the meat of the Word of God. What a sad state. May God help us to grow and to mature and to recognize the Word of God is food to nourish us in that that matter of maturity. But not only is it light to direct us and food to nourish us, it's water to cleanse us. John chapter 15, verse 3. 
We see God's word purifies the unclean soul, wherein Jesus declared, Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Beloved, I think one of the one of the best questions you can ask a Christian in just getting to know them is to ask them, how has the word of God changed your life? You see, as we look to the word of God and come to understand what it says and seek to obey it, as we grow and mature in the Lord, God's word ought to have a lasting and noticeable impact in our lives. The Bible tells us we're new creatures in Christ. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. As new creatures in Christ, are we following that new and living way God would have us to? If we read his word, if we obey it and apply it to our hearts and lives, it is going to make a difference. If we read in the scripture that something we're doing is wrong and we want to be pleasing to the Lord, what are we going to do? We're going to change. We're going to stop doing that. The Bible says, be ye kind one to another. Someone who has an unpleasant demeanor about him or her, if they're going to take that verse to heart, they're going to change their attitude toward others and start being nice to people. That's how the Word of God can change our hearts and lives. That's how we can make a difference in us, by seeing what it says, by applying it to our lives and saying, God, I will do that which you've given me to do. The Word of God, it cleanses us. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Paul is likening the marriage of a, of a man and a woman to the relationship of Christ and his church. He said, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. Christ died that his word might cleanse us and make us new creatures in Christ. Yes, the word of God is water to cleanse us. The first step toward keeping clean in a filthy world is by asking, what does the Bible say? David said, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? The answer, by taking heed to thy word. What does God's word say about what we think, say, or do? Well, let's respond. You see, to guide us in today's decisions... We look to the scriptures where we find principles, precepts, promises, personalities, and understand that whatever personality might have, whatever, whatever guides a person's heart, if they obey the word of God, it'll point them in the right direction. Jesus said, if any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. Back to this, our, our text here. Peter was quoting from Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44. I referred to that last week as well. This was written by Moses, the inspired man of God, some, in some 1500 BC. And he probably 
wrote it on clay tablets with a little stylus. But at the time of the writing of this letter by Peter, which was 60 AD, those clay tablets upon which Moses wrote no longer existed. They had long since disappeared. Yet, notice, Peter spoke of Moses' words when he said, because it is written. He said it's still on record. You see, he's speaking in the present tense. Just because it was written thousands of years ago doesn't mean God's word is no longer in effect. You might, be, might not be able to find the clay tablet or the papyrus or the vellum upon which the scripture was written, but we have the record that's been passed down through the ages, carefully preserved, that we today have God's word as he desires us to have it. It is still on record. It's still unchanging. It is still the eternal word of God. What a blessing to know that we have today in our hands before us what God intended us to have back millennia ago when he first created man and set in motion his plan of salvation. The word of God The Word of God is always, always true. I'll close with this thought. Man's predictions, and there have been many through the years, but they don't always come true, do they? In 1950, Fortune magazine asked 11 distinguished Americans to predict what the world would be like in the 1980s. So they were being asked to give their opinions. What's life going to be like 30 years down the road? David Smirnoff, chairman of RCA Records, said by 1980, trains and ships would refuel themselves, homes would have atomic generators, and guided missiles would transport mail. Well, I guess he missed it there. Henry Luce from Time Magazine said there would be an end to poverty by 1980. Mathematician John von Neumann predicted there would be free energy in America by the 1980s. You know, man's predictions almost always fail. But may I say, God's prophecies, God's promises, God's word never, never fails. You know, the Bible doesn't need to be updated because it has never been outdated. One of the ways in which Peter wrote to these folks to offer, or one of, the, one of the areas in which Peter wrote to these folks to offer a word of encouragement was emphasizing the Word of God and what it means to us today. I trust your confidence is in the Lord as we read in His Word what He said has happened, is happening, and will take place. Thank God we have a more sure word of prophecy.